This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! Welcome to the Match Preview Podcast. Big show coming your way with the former Seattle Sounders club legend Brad Evans and Minnesota United's Kindred D. St. Aubin all coming your way over the course of the next 45 minutes or so. I'm Callum Williams guiding you through the proceedings. Big day, a uh, big week for Minnesota United as Seattle Sounders come to town. Kindred, no doubt about it, this will probably be viewed as the biggest game of the season so far, certainly the biggest challenge of the season so far. Yeah, and I think we probably said that as the opening game as well, just because of the circumstances. Um, it, first of all, it's the opening game of the season. It was to start off 2021. Second of all, it was against the team that came from behind and beat them in the Western Conference Final. And here we are in nearly the same exact situation, once again with Minnesota United facing Seattle, a team they've never beaten but it's at home, it's at Allianz Field in front of a sold-out crowd, and not to mention Minnesota coming off a subpar performance against, against Colorado, which Adrian Heath was not happy about um, the team's performance. They were supposed to have the weekend off. They did not have the weekend off. And now you welcome a Seattle team that seems to have your number. And um, so, yeah, it should be a massive performance. I hope it's a great game. And I don't even want it to be close. I want it to just be a Minnesota United thorough thumping of the Seattle Sounders team because they think they, they owe it to them. I don't know if we're going to get that, but, I, but I've, I'd be looking forward to that if we could just get a, a plethora of goals and just put this one to bed early. So before we talk about Seattle Sounders, you mentioned it there, a subpar performance against Colorado Rapids. Not the finest evening in the office for Minnesota United. Adrian Heath not happy at all. Several players frustrated with themselves, with fellow teammates as well. Allegedly, there were one or two things said in the locker room after the game as well. Why did it go so wrong for Minnesota and Colorado? You know, Cal, that's a great question because I think that, you know, I know people talk about that being a tough place to play as far as altitude is concerned. And there's a reason why Colorado has a good home record. But I think the difference for me is that when teams drop off and lose games at Colorado, it's in the 60th, 70th minute when they get worn down from the altitude. This was a Minnesota United team that just felt like they didn't show up ready to play. And that's very unusual for this roster in this club and, and the standards that they hold themselves to. It's very unusual for us to see that in, in this team in this day and age. I, you just don't see it. Between 20, even, you know, 2020, 2021, the expectations are so high for this team. So I think that we were all a little surprised, and I definitely was, that they – from the first whistle showed up the way they did where it was like the front four had never played together. It was like, there was no fluidity in the attack. It's not the beautiful nature of the combination play and the movement off the ball and the runs off the ball. And, and just that beautiful game of football that we've come accustomed to seeing with this team wasn't there. So um, I, I think that it was a little bit baffling and it's a head scratcher. And I'm sure Adrian, he said the same thing at halftime and I'm sure he said the same thing after the game because those are the kind where you just kind of shake your head and go, what, what was that? You know, what, what was that that we just witnessed here? And I think you and I were walking out of the stadium and having a hard time putting our finger on it and, and trying to put words to what we just witnessed because this team is too good for that, too good for performances like that. And to not come away at a, what I view as a subpar Colorado team compared to Minnesota uh, away with the point 
those are the games that you've got to get a point. You've got to get a point on the road games, even if it's at Colorado. If there aren't any positives to take from that Colorado games, you perhaps would specifically look at the performance from DJ Taylor, who made his first start for Minnesota United. Um, looked like he had an abundance of energy down the right-hand side, was the only one that really ever asked a question of the stand-in left-back Austin Trusty. Surely now moving forward, because we're still not sure of the situation with Romamitinier, we don't know if he's available for Sunday's game, that'll give Adrian Heath a thing or two to think about. Yeah, and I thought DJ Taylor was excellent. I mean, you know, I mentioned it to you one or two times, the fact that he was able to go a ninety full 90 minutes, really, just nearly, you know, when he hadn't played hardly a second this season and at altitude and being asked all the questions of making the runs up and down, getting back defensively, doing everything that was asked of him on that right-hand side, I was really impressed. And not surprised because, I, I mean, surprised because physically I didn't think his body would be able to do it just because that's a lot to ask of a player that's not match fit. But I wasn't surprised in the sense of watching him work at training every day, knowing the effort that he puts into training, knowing how hard he works and that he always seems to have a smile on his face and he goes about his business and, you know, holds others accountable, holds himself accountable for having just played in the USL the last few years and now stepping into MLS. I was happy for him that he had that kind of performance that he put on that kind of a, a show considering the, the few minutes he's, that he's gotten. But yeah, I mean, I think it's something that Adrian has preached for a long time, quality and depth on the roster. And with the uncertainty of Metzenier and what it means for coming back um, from France and then the, the quarantining, we don't know what the rules are for that now and just being ready, ready and physically available for the next game. It's good to know that DJ Taylor can step in and really not miss a beat. He clearly doesn't give you the same thing going forward that Roma Metzenier does. He doesn't give you quite the same from an attacking perspective. DJ Taylor doesn't. But if you need someone that's going to concentrate on defense first, go forward and pick and choose his moments when he can, I thought DJ did a, a fantastic job. I must admit, Kay, I, I thought against Colorado, it was obvious how much Minnesota do miss Roma Metzenier. And, and as we mentioned, yes, DJ Taylor did very, very well and, and, and gave a good impression of himself for sure. I thought Minnesota United were far too narrow. I don't think they exploited the wide areas enough. I don't think they got at Austin Trusty enough. And, and for those that perhaps need their memory jolting, remember Austin Trusty played at left back for Colorado. Um, Austin Trusty is traditionally a centre-back. And I don't think that was exploited anywhere near enough. Um, will we perhaps see that become a bit more of an issue? Maybe once, once Metinier comes back in, not necessarily, but, but is it an issue moving forward? Because particularly with the way that Adrian Heath likes to play with these inverted wingers, they are not often asked to go at the fullbacks. They're often asked to tuck inside. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I think what you need is variety. And I think that's what they didn't have against Colorado. You need the variety in how you're going to attack the opposition. So you keep them guessing when you're dangerous from multiple areas, it makes it hard for the opposition to defend that. And when you don't have an overlapping outside back, that is a dangerous threat going forward. It makes you very one dimensional from an attacking perspective in that final third. And you and I said this, or at least I know I did last year. And I don't know if you agreed with me or not. But even when it was Kevin Molino and it was Robin Lud and it was Ethan Finley, and there were times it got too crowded once you added Reynoso into the mix in the middle of the field. 
So I think when you have that variety where you can still keep the defense stretched enough on the outside with the overlapping backs, that the center of the field is still open for those guys that you want to tuck in and play make and attack, it's there for the taking. There wasn't any of that. It was too easy for Colorado to defend centrally because there wasn't a threat in the overlapping areas from Chase Gasper or DJ Taylor. And so, yeah, I mean, do I agree with you in that they were too narrow? Absolutely. Did they miss Roma Metzenier? Yes, 100%. But I do think then maybe the guys that you do have on the pitch, they have to make that in-game adjustment, whether that's the player themselves or whether that's Adrian Heath and what he says to them tactically. If, if your outside backs aren't going to be a threat and go forward and go at their outside backs, in this case, you know, as you said, it was Austin Trusty was one of them then the players on the field have to recognize that maybe they need to step out and stretch. They can't all tuck in every single time. Robin Lord was tucking in from the right. Franco Fragapani was tucking in from the left. Emmanuel Reynoso is central. Hassani Dotson is central. Then Adrian Anu had nowhere to make his run. He had nowhere to find the space to get in behind the defense or between a center back and an outside back because no one was pulling them apart. So I think that sometimes it's on the players and sometimes it's on the coach to make those adjustments or read the game and realize what do I need to do to create space for someone else to go into and do their thing. And I think Reynoso got frustrated early on and, and just never really recovered. I don't think Frank Apane, they, they just weren't on the same page and you, who knows if it was because it was cluttered or what, but those are things that in the game, you have to be able to read the game and make those adjustments especially when a player like Roma Metanier is missing from the lineup. Now, with all of that in mind, one would suspect there would be a change or two for Sunday's game against Seattle Sounders. We're going to be speaking to Brad Evans in the next segment, of course, former Seattle Sounders defender. Uh, and I'm intrigued to see what he says, but, but also what you have to say here, Kay, in terms of there was a change of shape, a drastic change of shape for Brian Schmetzer. Everybody, including us, didn't think that Seattle Sounders would be anywhere near the force that they are this season without the injured Jordan Morris, without the injured Nicola Dero. And here they are, unbeaten in 13, setting all sorts of club records, top of the Western Conference, a new formation. How does a set of players adjust so quickly and so calmly and confidently to the point where they're at the top of the Western Conference? Well, let's even talk about them just adjusting in the game against Minnesota United to start the season. Because I was with you, doubting this change of shape. Would this be the one season that Seattle maybe missed the playoffs? And granted, that was the first game of the season. But we weren't the only ones saying that. I mean, the FS1 guys were saying that. The Seattle guys were saying that on their podcast. Brad Evans, Steve Zakawani, Keith Costigan, they were all doubters of what this group was going to look like knowing that they were missing Jordan Morris. There was a change in shape. They had the Calvin, Calvin Leardown was gone. Gustav Svensson was gone. There were so many pieces that they were missing. And then they step in and they start that game on the 16th of April and they looked completely discombobulated. Minnesota United was taking it to them for the first 45 minutes, at least the first 45, maybe even 60 minutes of that match until that strike by Joao Paulo. But they were taking it to them, exploiting their weaknesses. Nuhu looks completely lost. He was frustrated. He couldn't find the open pass. No one was available. Rui Diaz was tucking all the way back in practically to the back line to find the ball. And somehow they come out of half 
and they've made some adjustments. They had a bit of composure about them. They found the spaces, their switch field was working, their counterattacking was working. They finished some opportunities and the floodgates opened against Minnesota United. This, you know, it, it's intriguing to me when I watch and we hear Brian Schmetzer do interviews and this dates back to prior to Minnesota United days when I would cover a few playoff games here and there for Fox. And we talked to Brian Schmetzer when he took over that Seattle Sounders team. And he, it's like he's got this tinkerer kind of a brain, the way he works through and processes things. And he sits there on the bench with his little notebook and he writes down things as the half goes on. And he leans on his assistant coaches quite a bit, Precky included. And I remember hearing that, you know, from him right when he took over that, that gig before Minnesota United was even an MLS team. And he's got the group believing in themselves and what he's doing. And, you know, part of why he switched the formation, he felt like it was maybe a new, a, a good time for something new. And there's not very many coaches that say that because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And they, they really were frustrated by the fact that they got absolutely smoked by Columbus in that final last year, three to nothing. And they, and they didn't have a good performance. And, um, you know, Schmetzer went to work and, and changed the formation and slowly, but surely they have climbed atop the West with an impeccable record and um, unbeaten in 13 and a tremendous opportunity for Minnesota to put an end to that right here on Sunday. Will be really, really interesting. We're talking with Minnesota United's Kindred East St. Aubin and also ESPN's Kindred East St. Aubin, by the way, yeah. for those of you uh, looking forward to watching the game. If you can't make it to the game, you can watch the game with our very own Kindred East St. Aubin on ESPN. Right, next up then, we'll hear from Brad Evans, the Seattle Sounders club legend, after the break. Minnesota United fans, save time every time when you use online check-in for a great haircut at Great Clips. Download our app or check in online at greatclips.com. Great Clips, it's going to be great. And a very warm welcome back to the Match Preview Podcast. Callum Williams, as always, alongside former golfer soccer star Kendra D. St. Aubin. The Seattle Sounders, the opponents for Minnesota United this coming Sunday. So we thought we'd bring on to the podcast a man who knows the Seattle Sounders inside out. Former Sounders club legend and still a club legend, in my opinion. Brad Evans joins the podcast. Brad, welcome to the pod. How are you? Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm good. But I was just thinking about how nice it would be to start my mornings as a player, just sit in the hot tub, have a breakfast do a little training, and then you're home by two, you know? Just the <laughs> life these guys live, it's just so nice. And like we said right before we hopped on, just running around now uh, like a chicken with my head cut off. So uh, thank you for having me and letting me uh, find some peace in my day right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think we all just need 20 minutes or so just to talk about soccer, don't we? After all, that's what we're paid to do. How are you enjoying the transition going from the playing side onto the broadcasting side and, and the front office side of things? Yeah, look, I think, you know, 2018 was my last season and I uh, had a herniated disc in my back. Just couldn't do it anymore. Um, and my wife and I decided to travel for about a year. We bought an Airstream trailer. We lived in that for just over six months. I think I watched two soccer games in that time uh, and really got a chance to disconnect. Uh, and I think it was the best medicine, um, you know, just complete disconnect. And then uh, kind of found that love for soccer again. You know, you, you commit so much to one thing. Uh, sometimes you got to let it go for a minute to uh, realize how much you missed it. And very fortunate to have this job um, as club ambassador, brand ambassador, uh, you know, do some work in the community, uh, but also get to talk, get to talk about the, the sport that you love so much. 
Um, okay, so let's talk about the sport that we all love so much. Um, we were just talking about this in the opening segment, Brad. I think just about everybody had the Seattle Sounders just squeaking into the playoffs or being there or thereabouts, particularly after the losses of Jordan Morris and Nicholas Ladero. And yet here we are, 13 games unbeaten, flying high top of the Western Conference. How? How does Brian Schmetzer do it every single year? That is a question we've been trying to solve since 2016 is how, how does he do it? Current, former players, we've tried to get inside the mind of these guys. And the one thing that's always echoed is that this locker room is for the players and players only. Um, you know, when Schmetz took over in 2016, the team was in disarray. Uh, Ziggy was the coach at the time. We had some internal stuff in the locker room that just wouldn't allow us to be successful. And Schmetz didn't come in and clear house. Uh, the one thing that he's always said is that he believes in this group. He believes in the spine. And this is your team was the message from the beginning. And I think a big part of that now in 2021 is the consistency of that message. And it hasn't changed, right? The front office has stayed pretty much the same. The support group behind Schmetz has stayed the same as well. Um, and I think that's, that's right. I think other pundits in other cities, even myself, you know, Zach Wani were asking a lot of questions this year about, is this team defensively capable to make it to the next level. And then you throw in a new formation and then you really start asking questions. Is this the right move? Not many teams in MLS are playing three, five, two or five, three, two, however you want to do it. So a lot of question marks and then you couple injuries, but the thing that stayed consistent was a messaging. This is your locker room. Uh, I'm going to make some personnel changes here and there, but you play for the badge. You're always going to have a, uh, an opportunity to win a game. And, and the guys have proven it, proven it on the pitch from top to bottom. But even within that, Brad, you can have a coach that comes in and says, this is your locker room. And then you have to have the right guys in the locker room that take that the right way and run with it. So for him to come in and say that, that he, he, know, he knew that walking into the locker room to say that, that that was a group that was going to take it and run with it? Or how did that work? Yeah, for sure. Um, we always recall times in, in my time, right? Casey Keller was the real vocal uh the real leader captain of the group in the first couple of years. Um, it shifted to a player, Mauro, Mauro Rosales, for a little bit. And then I got to wear the captain's armband for quite a while and was pretty vocal uh, in and out of the locker room. In the past couple of years, there really hasn't been that guy who's been like the true leader, vocal leader, who has that kind of um, like real... Th the leadership quality that you see on ESPN, things like that, right? Where the, where the captain's always talking after the game. It's a silent group of guys uh, with this team. There isn't a guy that's on the field that's really directing and screaming at the ref and getting the guys rallied. You see it from different guys all throughout the field. And I think that that was Schmetz's motto. And this goes back to what he said. This is your locker room, right? I'm not going to come in and pick a captain. You guys are going to determine who leads this team on and off the field. And for us, we're still trying to figure out who it is. And we've even asked Stefan Fry, and he's like, look, it could be myself. It could be Nico Ladero on the day, Jao Paulo. It could be Christian Roldan with his experience, right? So it's a group of leaders in this locker room, and I think that that, more importantly than anything, has paid dividends in saying we're not going to rely on one guy to lead this group or get the job done. It really truly is a collective effort. Um, but you guys know MLS as well as anyone is – that can change in the snap of a finger. You know, you go into Minnesota against a team that, you know, just lost one at Colorado and you can win four nothing and the season can change like that. That's how MLS is. Um, 
but we will see. That will really test this group these next two games for the Sounders coming up. We, we briefly mentioned the gargantuan tweak in, in formation for Seattle Sounders. What about from a style perspective, though? Because I, I would argue now that you, you probably can't stretch as well as you used to be able to because of the absence of Jordan Morris. So, so how have things changed from that side of things from the Sounders? Yeah, Sounders historically are a, a possession-based team that'll win the ball deep and connect a few passes and be off to the races. Uh, in the first 10 games, I don't think they led one game in the possession stats. Things have kind of calmed down a little bit, and I think a, a product of that is other teams are starting to figure out this 3-5-2 and really stretch the Sounders and, and turn them around and force them to gain possession inside their own 18 and say, hey, if we put you under pressure, then you're going to have to build out of the back 15, 20 yards deeper than you're used to. Um, in that 3-5-2 in the beginning, the Sounders were very comfortable having play in front of them and winning the ball at half field and you know, getting off on a couple counters using the wingbacks to, to get service. Um, in the past couple of games, it's, they've been um, exposed a little bit. And I think that's a little bit of personnel with Nuhu being gone um, in that left center back position. Sissoko comes in as a young player who doesn't have the legs and the ability that Nuhu does. Um, so you're seeing, even within a formation, you're seeing different personnel kind of bring out the best and worst of this 3-5-2 past couple games now the Sounders have gained more possession and been a more possession-based team but then the service hasn't been there so we haven't really seen that like full 90-minute performance from the guys say for maybe a game at home against Salt Lake um, so we're kind of still waiting for that moment and I think that's a good thing if you can if you can win games ugly you'll do it and you give yourself time on the field to get healthy and really figure out this formation get good possession while getting good service uh, it can be a dangerous team what has impressed you the most about this team or even who has impressed you? We've talked a lot about Leva. We talked a lot about Atencio, some of the youngsters, but who has impressed you the most this season in 2021 with this team? Yeah. It, you know, we got to ask three players that impress us the most and, and it's hard because there's been probably four or five that have been really good. Um, but when I think about the Sounders, I think of a historically good spine that's been there consistently. Um, you know, Yamar has been lights out. Um, you don't, see him struggling too much uh in that game against Colorado Lewis was really dangerous that's the first time I've seen Yamar kind of struggle in his own box when he gets taken on one-on-one -on -one with a small crafty player save for that he's been the best defender maybe knew who but just hasn't played as many games uh Jao Paulo as a number six has been fantastic um you know he's starting in, in our circles here we're starting to say is he Aussie-esque or is he a number eight um, and Ozzy's the ultimate club legend for us, right? And you guys have gotten a taste of him. And to even be in that discussion says a lot about a player, uh, even from, you know, you're talking like Schmetz, you're talking, um, you know, guys who've been covering this uh, team on TV for, for quite a while. Uh, and then Raul has been just insane up top. I mean, his strike rate is, it, it's blowing our minds when they bring up the stats on our pregame halftime. And then postgame, we talk about it every game of him scoring a goal. Uh, we've been blessed with Obafemi and Clint as a partnership, and Raul's strike rate is almost double what theirs was. And to even, I didn't get to play with Raul, but just to be day in, day out with Oba and Clint, like I can't even fathom the numbers and his production right now is insane. I mean, we're talking all-time MLS compared to, you know, Zlatan's on a different, in a different universe, but he's right up there with Vela and uh, Martinez and, you know, the top strikers of uh, MLS history. 
talking of attacking players and club legends, I thought it was borderline iconic, the return of Freddie Montero. It was a move that was sort of submerged in romanticism, really, wasn't it? It seemed like it was always going to happen. But how has it been for you seeing your old teammate back amongst the Seattle Sounders? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's an interesting one for me because, you know, I played for the club for nine years, and so I have serious ties to what this club means to this city and, you know, what it means to, like, bleed for a club. And I never personally had the aspirations to go, you know, overseas or, or test myself abroad because I, I had a great situation here. Um, and then to see, you know, a club legend like Freddie go and then, you know, come back to a rival team in Vancouver was, was really hard on me personally. Um, if he would have come back to the Sounders or even gone to any other team in MLS, I would have been happy. But he comes back and he goes to a rival. Um, and I know that it happens all throughout the world, but for me, that one stuck with me, but then to see him now come here, um, you know, take a minimum contract. And he has said, I need to prove myself worthy of being at this club again. That says a lot about his character and uh, where his mindset is at. And you're right. I mean, could it be written in the stars that he scores the you know winning goal in, in MLS cup? Uh, maybe it's possible. Um, but until then he'll have to prove himself on the pitch. And, you know, Will Bruin has been a fantastic strike partner with, with Raul and now Raul and Freddie have to figure out how to play with each other um, because for Raul to be successful, he needs someone up there that's close to him. Freddie's a bit more of a, like, like a Reynoso a little bit where he drops off the top line and likes to create from that deep position. Yes, it causes problems for defenders, but then Raul finds himself one V two and Raul really fancies himself in one-on-one -on -one opportunities. So Freddie's got a lot to prove. He knows that. And um, you know, if he gets a nod this weekend, then I expect him to, continue to build and get fitness number one is a huge part for him um but we know that he has that class to score you know eight to ten goals a season when he's red hot brad let me ask you this from an outsider's point of view what's the thought on minnesota united are they considered a top team in the western conference yeah uh, i think minnesota is and for the past two or three years i think minnesota has shown you know the capabilities of, of, of what that club can be um, you know, when I was still playing, you know, playing in the football stadium there in Minnesota, um, decent amount of fans, um, you know, and the results just didn't come your way. And now with the stadium, with the, with the introduction of a couple new players, even this year, um, I see more stability in, in the club and, and the team as well. And I think building off of last year is something that, you know, the club has to take advantage of and, my experience is, is home games are really what matters. And um, that stadium has to be a fortress. And I know that the guys will echo that too, right? It's, it's kind of a no-brainer, but from an outs outsider's perspective, it has to happen. Um, you know, the, the addition of a couple new players, um, let's see how long it takes to really integrate and get this team to where, um, you know, the club wants to be. Uh, you know, but for the Sounders, they've been so good historically in going into places and, and just getting the job done. And it may not be a pretty game from the Sounders, but um, with that three, three to five in the back, it's going to be really difficult to, to break them down. You know, only a couple goals this year scored from the run of play. So uh, for Minnesota to be successful, Reynoso has to be the best player on the field, uh, especially with Nico not playing. Um, you know, Raul might only get 10 to 15 touches away from home sometimes. So Reynoso has to be the best player on the field. So that that's the, the key for the Sounders going into this game is basically – Jao Paulo has to know where he is at all times. Um, and if you can negate him, which is really, really difficult, um, that is the plan for the Sounders, 
and uh, we know it, he kind of reminds me of um, of Espinosa for Salt Lake in you know 2014, 2013, um, and how he's just he can go anywhere right on the field. Coach says, hey, just go play make and make make the other team make the decision on who's going to step and who's not. And what he does is he unbalances teams. And on any given day, if he's the best player on the field, just like playoffs last year, um, you guys will be in good shape. Now, the Sounders have been so good defensively. Um, it, it's basically just a defense versus, versus offense um, scrimmage, basically, is how, how the past couple Sounders games have been away from home. When you look at this Minnesota team, and you've seen them now a few times, and you look at the Seattle team, and, and you look at the first game that they faced each other, I know it's going to be some differences with the international call-ups. That's what we were chatting about a little bit, but where can the game be won for Minnesota United? Where is the possible weakness for Seattle Sounders? I know you've talked about the strength and where they're solid, but where can Seattle be exposed? Who listens to this podcast? <laughs> well, no insider information, just your professional the coach, opinion the, from the studio desk. <laughs> does the coach listen to this podcast? Um, you know, <laughs> as I watch the Sounders, um, you know, you've got playing in a three-five-two is really difficult. And now that Alex is gone, um, you know, Brad Smith is getting back into the lineup. We'll see if Nuhu's back in, but you know, I think if you make the center backs of the Sounders have to defend for ninety minutes, they're you're going to be hard pressed to find a perfect 90 minute performance from any of those guys. Um, that's where I think that teams can punish the Sounders and they have to be very careful, especially away from home. Uh, last game, they pushed the, the focus for the Sounders was to push the outside backs higher up the field to get more service. Now doing that away from home is a really difficult ask. Uh, you can watch the Colorado game is there was defending for your life for you know, a good 70 minutes in that game and credit to the Sounders and holding strong and, and scraping out with a one, one tie. Um, but that's where the game can be won for a home team is sustained pressure inside the Sounders final third, and especially inside the box and, and making those defenders really defend uh, because they love the ball at their feet. They love when things are easy. If you put them under pressure. It's, it's a difficult task, um, but you don't go 13 unbeaten. Uh, if you're not pretty good at defending. Wonderful. Well, look, Brad, we really appreciate the insights from you uh, talking about Seattle Sounders. Before we let you go, one final question we like to ask most guests who are particularly affiliated with the opposition is, is what is a good season for your team? What's a good season for Seattle Sounders look like this year? Oh, man. Um, you know, you have to make the playoffs, number one. You, you just have to keep that tradition going because that's something that we've kind of hung our hat on the past 12 years is never missing a playoff since coming into major league soccer. And you never want to be the team that does a first of not making the playoffs, right? Especially a team that starts the season, you know, unbeaten in 13. If you don't make the playoffs, that's, that's something that you'll remember forever, but more importantly, that's what the fans will remember forever. Um, I think realistically, if Nico can get healthy and the Sounders can make a signing or two, I, I, I see no reason why MLS Cup um, isn't real, a, a realistic goal uh, for this club. Um, now, you, gotta, you have to have a lot of luck, and everyone has to get healthy and stay healthy. But they've proven that they can win in difficult circumstances, and that's what you have to do in the playoffs um, to make it to MLS Cup. I think 
Supporter Shield is going to be a tough one. This year, Supporter Shield doesn't mean much to me because you only play East Coast teams twice in a season. So that doesn't carry too much clout and it won't carry too much clout with the, with the guys and, uh, and the fans. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I think MLS Cup is a realistic, is a realistic goal that is set and, and that can be attained. Wonderful. Our thanks to Seattle Sounders club legend Brad Evans for joining us. As always, Kindred East St. Albans, and of course to you at home for your company here today. All eyes on Sunday as Minnesota United host Seattle Sounders.